Amen. If you are able, please stay standing as we uh, read God's Word together. Uh, we're in Psalm 122, um, and, and you're going to need your, the, a copy of your Bible for this one. Uh, our brother Ben is going to read for us. Um, he's going to read in his native language, and uh, so you will need your copy of the Bible because uh, you probably will not understand him, uh, but, but our, our great God will. Um, and so read, uh, again, it's just another great uh, practice for us to have, to have our, our copies there. So Psalm 122, and that's on page 517. It's okay, I can read in both. And you can read in both. You just do whatever you want there, Ben. I'll, I'll read in Farsi and then twelve. Wonderful. اکنون اینجا در دروازه های اورشلیم ایستاده ایم اورشلیم شهری است بسیار محکم و هم پیوسته اینجا جایی است که تمام تایفه ها می آیند تمام تایفه های اسرائیل تا مطابق اوامر خداوند او را ستایش کند در اینجا پادشاهان اسرائیل برای داوری مردم مینشینند برای صلح و سلامتی اورشلیم دعا کنید تا تمام کسانی که تو را دوست دارند سعادتمند کردند صلح و سلامتی در درون دیوارهای تو و امنیت در قصرهای تو باد به خاطر خیشاوندان و دوستان خود به اورشلیم میگویم سلامتی بر تو باد به خاطر خانه خداوند خدای خود سعادت تو را ای اورشلیم خواهانم آمین من Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was declared for Israel to give thanks to the name of our the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and my companions sake. I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I'll seek your good. Amen. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever, is what Isaiah chapter 40 says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your, your word. Uh, we thank you for, um, as, as your word says, uh, that you will keep, you will preserve your word, um, that your words are true words. Um, and those words, uh, you, as, as the great and mighty holy God, will keep them. Uh, you will preserve them. Um, and even as we have seen this morning, Lord, you will, you will expand them. Um, you will, will take them from, a, from an ancient language, um, and you will um, give uh, people uh, the ability to translate them into languages uh, so that people from all tribes... People from all tongues and all nations will come to know you. 
Uh, we know that it is through your word uh, that we, we know who you are. Um, it is through your word that we know who Christ is. Um, it is through your word that we know ourselves uh, more deeply. And so, Lord, would you use your word this morning um, to, to convict us, um, to challenge us, to encourage us, um, to give us great confidence in, in what you command of us. Uh, Lord, there is not a single commandment, um, according to 1 John, um, that, that the, the commands of God are not burdensome. Um, so, Lord, where we have made commands burdensome, may we look more and more to Christ, um, who, who have kept the commandments perfectly um, and who has invited us to joyfully submit to and obey him. Um, thank you for uh, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Um, and, and Lord, thank you for bringing us together here this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are in Psalm 122. Uh, again, happy Father's Day. Uh, as, as we say on Mother's Day, um, this day uh, is accompanied by all kinds of uh, you know, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of challenges. Um, and so, it, uh, as what is true in my family line, um, fatherhood uh, is, is not something that is overly, I'm not talking about for myself, but generations before me, um, fatherhood is not something that is thought of um, in a pleasant way. Uh, because generations back, there has been, there's been all kinds of abuse, all kinds of um, abandonment and all kinds of pain, um, but but by God's grace, and uh, in, in, in my family, uh, God saved my father. Um, my father raised me in a way that honored the Lord um, and was was good for me personally and, and my soul. Um, and by God's grace, will be good for uh, good for uh, the future generations. Um, and so the gospel is is uh, is plenty big enough. Um, to overcome those, those things that, that are painful for us, those things that things are painful to us. Um, and we don't say it lightly um, that, that in, in our holy God, we have a, a, a really good father. Um, and, and we are, in the scriptures, are invited to call out to him as such. Um, and so fathers, happy Father's Day. Uh, those of you who desire to be fathers, uh, we, we know that, that that reality exists as well. Um, and, and let me just challenge and encourage you, men, uh, we, have, we have deeply uh, important and high callings um, to, to love our families well. Um, and so we hope today, um, as an encouragement to you, I, I read something this week that Mother's Day is typically when we hand out the flowers and uh, are, are very nice and, and all those things, and the Father's Day is typically when we light into people. Um, and so we're not going to light into anybody. We're going to focus in on God's Word, um, just as we do on Mother's Day. Uh, we, we believe that the best thing for us today is to, to be in his word um, and to share the, the truths and the beauties of the gospel of Jesus. And so that's, that's where we'll be today in Psalm chapter 122. Um, plus, fathers, we, we made a whole lot of bacon. So you know we love you. Um, you, you, know, you know we love you very deeply. Um, thanks to, who was it, Lena and, and, and Madeline. Welcome home, Madeline Bradley. Can we just welcome Madeline Bradley home? Uh, Madeline, if you don't know, has been um, across the pond uh, for the last six months, and so um, that might come out in some of her uh, in some of her language. Um, this morning, she was talking about five thirty, and she said uh, half half five, 
half five, not half past five, you know, like anything normal, just half five. And so um, that might come out uh, a little bit in her conversation. But hey, here's what I told Madeline, and I would encourage you to do as well. I personally am very excited um, about having Madeline in my home soon to hear all about her trip. And so, hey, Madeline is someone um, that, that you can invite to your home and hear all about her trip. She can make you some good English tea probably. Um, and if Madeline's all booked up, then uh, and maybe invite someone else into your home um, here in the next couple weeks. And so welcome home, Madeline. Um, I also must say welcome to our brother Mike. Uh, we, we kind of have, not that Mike wants to be shouted out or anything, uh, but we kind of all know what, his, what the journey that Mike has been on the last couple weeks, and we're really grateful to have Mike with us here this morning. Um, and thanks to our sister Sheila for making sure he got here, uh, being his shuttle service. And so um, thank, you, thank you for that. Okay, so here we are on Psalm 122. Um, I, I know I'm just giving all kinds of shouts out this morning. And so you're like, please don't call my name, Doug. I'm going to call your name. Doug told me this morning that you got really used to a short sermon. Um, and so um, trust me, I'm going to make up for it. So um, especially if you tell me that, okay? So no, here we are in Psalm 122. Um, our goal uh, in, in this summer series is to be somewhat brief. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but our goal is to be somewhat brief. As I have studied these psalms throughout the last couple weeks, I have uh, encountered how challenging it is to really understand these psalms in particular. Uh, there's a lot of fighting that I have to do with what I want the text to mean um, and where I think the text is going. Uh, but, but I think that we're going to fight really hard for some of the very foundational principles and the truths and some of the context in what is going on in, Psalm, in these Psalms of Ascent. And so Psalm 122 um, is the third um, of what is known as the Psalms of Ascent and is the first that we see um, in the subscript here. You see this little, these little words above 122, a song of ascent of David. It's the first in these Psalms of Ascent that we see ascribed to David. Um, now, there's all sorts of psalms ascribed to David, but in these psalms right here, at least in, in my copy of God's Word, it's the first of these 15 psalms that are ascribed to David. And so, to put it mildly, if you don't know much about um, the Bible um, or much about Christian history or, or the, the history of the people of God, David is kind of a big deal. Um, David's, a, David's a pretty big deal in our faith. Um, he is one of the main characters in the Old Testament who God promised great things through, that it would be through the line of David that the king would be ushered in. And then as we see in Matthew, the other book that we're studying right now that we've taken a break from, um, David is one of the very first characters mentioned um, in Matthew's gospel because Matthew is attempting to establish Jesus is the one who was promised through David. Um, and he's, he's, he's not just saying that arbitrarily. He's saying, here's a family tree. Here's a family line. Um, and it's much more dependable than any family tree test that you could take today. Um, you want to talk about a for sure DNA test, look at Matthew chapter 1. Um, and the inspired word of God, the, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, is telling us that this is who Jesus is. And so following two Psalms, Psalm 120 and Psalm 121, Psalm 120 is a psalm of, of what is very obviously a psalm of distress, and then you have this psalm of what seems to be kind of reassurance in Psalm 121. Well, David now contributes this psalm of, we're going to call it a psalm of gladness. Is it okay if we uh, talk about gladness today? Um, that, that, that's right. There's a psalm about gladness. The Bible offers and speaks 
of deep gladness. And I hope, again, that y'all are okay if we spend some time on this Father's Day talking about gladness. Is that okay? Um, I, I don't know about you. I've, I, I, thankfully, I've, I've had several conversations lately with lots and lots of people who have asked me about my experience as a pastor's kid. Do we have any pastor's kids in the room? PK, okay, we got a few pastor's kids in the room. Um, I've had several people lately ask me about my experience as a pastor's kid, and they ask me that in the context of hearing lots of horror stories about being a pastor's kid. Um, and, and by God's grace, for whatever reason he chose um, to, to allow me to have a very pleasant experience as a pastor's kid. Um, and, and I've told people, my, my dad came to faith late in life. Um, he, he wasn't really raised in the church. He came to faith later in life. And, um, and, so, and so maybe some of how God protected and preserved me from experience as a pastor is because there were lots of things, and my dad would admit this, there were lots of things my dad just didn't know. And so, like, my dad didn't know what he didn't know in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, and so he was able to avoid a lot of the, the drama, a lot of the arguments, a lot of the, the arrogance that sometimes comes along with young pastors like myself, um, and was able to avoid that and to lean in heavily to, to older, faithful, wise men um, and just really kind of ride on their coattails. And so all of that to say, as we talk about gladness today on Father's Day, um, I pray that it's refreshing. I pray that it's encouraging to you. I don't know um, if my story is so unlike other people's stories where maybe Father's Day was the day uh, where there was a lot of guilt, where there was a lot of shame, where there was a lot of pouring on of why you're failing as a father. Um, and so today we're not going to tell you why you're awesome as a father. We're going to tell you why our great God is worthy to be praised and worthy to be followed and worthy to be called out to as father. And so we're going to talk a little bit about gladness today because I think it's the theme of Psalm chapter 122. David writes about gladness in this psalm, and it is a gladness particularly among the people of God in the presence of God. That's what we're going to see. And so this helps us see that one of the ways that God has set for his people to experience gladness in their lives and peace, even in the most challenging of circumstances, uh, circumstances such as they're experiencing through these 15 psalms. And so we're going to see in this psalm one of the ways, one of the, I would say one of the primary ways that God has chosen for his people to experience deep gladness. And let's look at gladness in four areas in this psalm. And so we're going to read through this psalm, but I want to tell you what these four areas of gladness are. We see David express a gladness in God's people. Secondly, we see David express a gladness in God's presence. And then we see David experience a gladness in God's place. And then fourthly, a gladness in God's peace. He's like those four Ps right there. I promise I didn't use chat GPT. I just came up with those. And so just reading and studying the text. Um, and so now you're wondering if I really did get it from chat GPT. And I, I really didn't. So um, here we go. First thing that we see uh, in the psalmist, in David, is, a gladness, having, is he's experiencing a gladness in God's people. Look what the very first line says. I was glad when they said to me. That's the very first line. And in that line, we see that David is experiencing a deep gladness among and in the people of God. His first source of gladness is seen right out of the gate when he says, I was glad when they said to me, don't miss the immediate interplay 
the, the interplay between the individual, David, and the group that this psalm opens with because for David, it is a source of deep gladness and launches the psalmist into what follows. In this very first matter-of-fact statement in Psalm chapter 122, David states one of the most fundamental realities of the faith. Let me just say that again. David is stating one of the most fundamental realities of the faith. Now, remember, two weeks ago, when we talked about Psalm 120, we also said that the psalmist expresses one of the most fundamental realities of the faith, namely that we have a God who hears us, right? That is a very deep reality to the Christian people, that we have a God who hears and responds, not just a God who hears and decides on whether or not he wants to ignore you. No, as I was talking to my brother David a few weeks ago, God doesn't ever ignore you. God never ignores. God always responds. Does he always respond in the way that we think or the way that he, we think he ought to? Absolutely not. But God always responds. Say that with me. God always responds. He always responds. And so in Psalm 122, we see another fundamental reality of the people of God. And, it, and, and here's the deal. This is, this is so important. So I keep kind of getting up on a rabbit trail, but that's okay. I'm going to get to this fundamental reality in just a second. We, 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 there's, there's a lot of conversation going on on how much ought the church speak into current cultural issues, current cultural ideas, current cultural thoughts. Now, let me put my cards on the table. I think the church has a responsibility to do that. Um, have, we, have we done it as explicitly as might be necessary um, up until now? Maybe not. Will we in the future? Yes, uh, because we believe that our people, including myself, are being discipled and formed by the culture. And so the church is a little bit of a counterculture. It's actually the only true culture, and everything else is counterculture to what the true culture really is. And so the church does speak to that. And so let me say that what David establishes here, I think it does, this is what we do when we speak to the culture. We let the word drive us. And so the, the, the word here this morning is going to speak to and going to get out ahead of a prominent cultural idea um, that is a, opposed to a fundamental reality what, of what is true of the Christian faith, namely that I am fine just on my own. If, if, if you don't recognize and realize that part of what's going on in our culture right now is this pervasive idea that I'm fine on my own, and all the things that are connected to that, we begin to hear the things like my truth, and my reality, what that is, is a highly individualistic, disconnected from reality and from the people of God. That is a pervasive idea that the Bible will confront. And what that has done, that cultural idea has seeped its way into the church and seeped its way into the way that we express our faith. And so... Um, Here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, I have a picture that I'm going to show you. Our brother Brian Rice sent me a picture. He probably sent it to Victoria this week. I, I'm really sorry. Uh, this is something that Brian sent me earlier this week with a, with a laugh emoji. And, and you're going to laugh too because you're probably thinking it. I understand. It's better to sit in a boat thinking about God than to sit in a church thinking about fishing. <laughs> That's this idea. That's a, some of you are like, 
Amen, hallelujah. Hey, I've had conversations with people. I have had conversations for years and years and years for, for people who express somewhat of the same thing. It's better to sit at the ball fields and be, and be and, you know, present with. And so what I want to ask people when they say that they're on Sunday sitting at the ball fields or whatever that may be is say, okay, is it better to sit at the ball fields or the basketball court or, or wherever that may be on a Sunday than being in church? Then how many people did you share your faith with? And normally that kind of, oh, well, is it, is it better? And so this idea of I can kind of just do my own thing on my own, disconnected from where the, the people of God are, makes you think, man, who needs the Psalms when stuff like this just floating around at Bass Pro Shops, right? Like, I'm just going to like, I'll just, go get, I'll just go get my discipleship and my fill-in over at the Bass Pro or better yet, Cabela's, right, um, than, than, from, than from the Psalms. No, David's gladness is deeply tied to the fact that he is not on this journey alone. He's he's not adopting this cultural mindset that I can just express my faith how I want, where I want, I can experience God how I want and where I want. No, David is, I would say, is namely describing but also prescribing what has always been true of the people of God, that we are not just rogue, isolated individuals, but we are a people formed together by his word and under his commands and under his regulation. I know that's kind of a weird word. If you're Presbyterian, you've heard of the regulative principle. Um, that's a really good thing, I think. Uh, Baptists like it too, by the way. Uh, we, we talk about the regular principle under the things that God has said that the people do and how they are formed. And so again, David's gladness is deeply tied to the fact that he's not on this journey alone. Not because he's got the ability to text his friends or to receive an encouraging tweet in the morning, but because of the fundamental reality of the communal nature of the people of God. David experiences a deep gladness with and among God's people. And if we're going to speak to the culture, speak to what's going on in our society, then we've got to kind of do some work first in the house, right? Uh, we got to kind of do some work on some of our ideas that we've brought in to faith and, and what we've listened to and what we've heard, and we got to get back to what the Word says. And so David is saying that his gladness is connected to the people of God, to be in the presence of the people of God, which leads us to the second thing. David experiences gladness in God's people, but secondly, he experiences a gladness in God's presence. He experiences a gladness in God's presence. So, so here we go. Here's, here's kind of where this gladness of God's people lead us um, and, and where we go. Look, look, what, look what David says next. So I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so what is it that makes these people so glad together that they are going to the house of the Lord? So for the Jews at this time, let's, let's, here's what we got to do first. We got to understand what this is saying in the context. And so when we hear the house of the Lord, please don't hear me as an old fire and brimstone preacher and say, this is the house of the Lord. Uh, like, like we've said before, and, and, and our brother Mike uh, can really attest to this because he's got blood, sweat, and tears in this place. At one time, this place burned. And was, was God all of a sudden homeless? He absolutely wasn't. Was God's people homeless? Maybe for like a second, but they found somewhere else, Right. And, and, and so we're not, when you hear the house of the Lord, don't hear me about to tee up for you that you got to, that, that's coming to church on Sunday mornings, you know, that that's all we got to do because that's not, that, I don't think that's what's going on here. But no, when we read this in the context in the text, for the Jews at this time, when David's talking about, let us go to the house of the Lord, 
for the, for the Jews at this time, Jerusalem was the place where God's presence was manifestly felt and uniquely promised. There was something about Jerusalem at this time. If you read the whole the Old Testament, we just don't have time to go there. And if I'm honest with you, I don't even understand all the components of it. But there was something about Jerusalem where God's presence was manifestly felt by God's people and uniquely promised. God's people could endure deep hardship because their eyes were set on where they were going and who they would encounter when they got there. And so despite, you know, one of, one of my favorite authors, not everybody's going to like this, but one of my favorite authors just to read kind of, kind of just as I'm passing time is a guy named Eugene Peterson. Um, he wrote uh, that, that great translation on the Bible. It's not a, I would not say it's an authorized version, um, and so please don't hear me say that, but I think it's a really good paraphrase, the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson wrote, uh, wrote, a, wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message. Um, and so Eugene Peterson, in his book on the Psalms of Ascent, he, he, uh, he kind of oversimplifies this, this psalm, um, and it's essentially about going to church to worship God. And this, this, this psalm right here and where David has experienced his gladness isn't merely about going to church or going to the church house at 1015 on a Sunday morning. No, it is specifically about being in the place where God promised to uniquely, graciously, and powerfully manifest himself among his people. So, so not as if God was absent in all other areas of life, Right? God's not absent in all their areas of life, but there was something about Jerusalem, there was something about where they were headed, where their ascent was to, that God promised to, in a unique way, to manifest himself and to reveal his presence and who he was. And David is finding a deep gladness in this. It was, a, it was from this place where God's glory was visibly made known to the world. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, here's some good news, and here's some way to understand this. We don't have to travel very far today to experience the presence of God in unique and powerful ways today, right? And so here back in this day, you've got these guys traveling to Jerusalem. Again, it wasn't the only place where God, it wasn't the only place where people could, could experience the things of God and understand the things of God, but it is where God uh, promised to uniquely manifest and reveal himself to his people. But today, we don't have to travel such places, do we? We don't have to travel such lengths to experience the presence of God in unique and powerful ways. We aren't, as some of my neighbors, we aren't Muslims who have to travel to Mecca. We're not Jews who have to wait for a temple to be rebuilt. No, we are God's people. We are the people of God, of whom 1 Corinthians says we are the temple of God. We are that temple. We are God's mode for displaying God's glory of God into the whole world is what the Bible says. Now, here's what happens when we read 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. You read modern translations and you see that it says you. And it's like, that's right, me, like me. Like I, like I, I do this, I do this. Remember a couple of years ago, if you've been around Grace Harbor for any length of time, a couple of years ago, uh, we did a series called Y'all. It was, just, it was just called Y'all. Why? What's that thing called? Apostrophe? Is that an Apostrophe? A comma floating in the air? I don't know. I didn't do well. Um, I knew what it was, y'all. Come on. Why uh, with an apostrophe, A-L-L, y'all. It was just simply called y'all. And what we did throughout that series is we, we preached through many New Testament texts, and anytime we saw the word you in each particular sermon, we read it as y'all, because that's 
the way that Paul wrote these letters. And so when Paul says, you are the temple of God, you know what he's saying? Y'all are the temple of God. Now, is it true that you, as a believer, that you are your body, the first Corinthians all says that your body is the temple of God? Yes, that is true. You ought to care for it. You ought to realize it as such. But when Paul writes these letters, he's not just saying Micah. He's not just saying Rick. He's not just saying Aiden or Madeline. He's saying, you all compose my temple, my, my presence, and, and I believe that what the scriptures are saying is that that is uniquely the, the truth and the reality, not, not that in other places it's not, but that is uniquely the reality when you come together, that when you come together as a church. You know, there were designated times in the Jewish faith where they were going up to Jerusalem, right? They were going up for feasts and festivals, and they were going up for uh, these designated times. In fact, Psalm 122 says that. Um, it says it was decreed for Israel that they would go up to these places at different times and for different feasts and festivals. And I would say scripturally and even throughout church history, there are times where the people of God have always come together and formed as a people to uniquely and in a specific kind of way experience the grace and the presence of, of who God is. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 will all kinds of of mess up your theology that you've collected from books and stuff and tell you the truth about what the church is and how God interprets scripture and how Christ and the church fulfills it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three. Go with me to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, verse seven through 13. I would encourage you to read all of Ephesians at some point, but let's read specifically here. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory." Paul isn't just saying this about you and you and you and you and you. He's saying this about us. He's saying that about those who make up the body of Christ. Not just merely individual parts, but a collective of the people of God. God's presence, let me just encourage you with this church family. God's presence is not isolated to a place, no matter what that is. No, God's presence, though, is uniquely and powerfully manifested to us when we do what the New Testament prescribes what the church does, namely fellowship, namely the, the preaching of the word, communion, singing, and, and the, the one and others of the scriptures. That's how we practice. And let me just tell you something. I think you would all agree with this. I think in, in many ways, 
we experience in a unique way the grace and the mercy of God when we do the things that he calls us to do, right? Uh, when, when, we, when we welcome one another, when we are hospitable, when we have fellowship with one another, when we pray, when we, when we, when we do all of these things. And so again, catch on to the word uniquely. That is not saying strictly, right? That's not saying that, that this is the only place. Hey, listen, can I just tell you? Um, for some reason, I've gotten into fishing over the last couple of weeks, and I blame it on the Comptons. And so, got into fishing, uh, went fishing yesterday, and, um, and was really grossed out by the worms and everything, uh, but, but I'm doing it for my boys. Um, let me just tell you, there is something deeply special and spiritual about being out on the water, isn't there? There is something deeply special and spiritual about fishing next to a dam and hearing the waterfall and seeing fish jump. I would say the Bible tells us that. The Bible doesn't ignore that. The Bible says, hey, creation itself shows us. It testifies to, to the glory of, of a maker. But let me just say that there is a unique expression. And I know I keep using the word manifestation, manifest. Don't let that word freak you out. Uh, but there is a unique reality and a manifestation to who God is and his grace towards us when we come together in this way. And the psalmist is telling us that. He's experiencing deep gladness by being with the people of God in the presence of God. And so please catch that. Also, let me just apply this a little bit more. Communion. Hey, communion is not just some rote ritual. Let let, let me just encourage us that if something that God has told us to do becomes monotonous or boring... I promise you it's not because God is limited in what he has commanded. It's because we are creatures who need to be awakened and, 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 and made uh, the, the, the realities and the glories of Christ need to become fresh to us. I'm not saying that you're a sinner or anything like that. I'm just simply saying if these things become monotonous. Hey, listen, some, some of you every single morning wake up, brew your cup of coffee, open the newspaper. That that's not boring to you, is it? What, how much more interesting and how much more um, invigorating is it for us to come together and to do the things, to take the elements together every Sunday and to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us through his son, Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. Hey, if, if that story is old to you, then may, may we pray that the Spirit would just give us a, a, fresh, a freshness to it. Lord, awaken my heart to this. Um, and so these are ways that God uniquely manifests and shows himself to us through common things like the elements, through singing, through the preaching of the word. And so thirdly, uh, so, so we've seen a gladness in God's people, we've seen a gladness in God's presence, and, no, and then we see a gladness in God's place, namely Jerusalem. That's what the writer's talking about. Let's read uh, verses uh, three through five. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. David's gladness is associated in this psalm with the place of God, namely Jerusalem. We see that right here. He, David is doting on the city of Jerusalem as he ought to, because what he says is true. And so there are some things that he says about it that highlight some of the fundamental realities of what is true about God's people and God's presence. Well, it is well-built. That's what he says. Again, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about a building. 
Mike, you did great work. We're not necessarily talking about the building that we're doing here. Um, we're not talking about the structures that could be wiped out in May by a tornado or anything like that. No, it is a place where God chose to dwell and was a well-built place. But what, is it, but what else does David say about it? It is a, it is a diverse place. You see that? You see that, um, that Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, so it's well-built, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. There are various tribes coming together for one purpose, to worship the one true God. So it is a diverse place, and it is, it is orderly. It says, this was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. It is unified, and in this place there is a clear set-aside purpose. The Psalms say a decree or an ordinance. And what was that purpose in their coming together in Jerusalem? What? It says to give thanks to the Lord, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For us, it is profoundly true that the church is not a building. Amen? The church is not a building. Hey, a couple years ago, uh, COVID hit us and nobody knew what was going on. Some people did, but you know, not us. Uh, the right people knew, but I guess we were not those right people. We did not know what all was going on. And, and the church was somewhat in a frenzy. We stopped meeting together for a few weeks. And, and at the time, we, we believed that that was the, the wisest thing for us to do. And so in those moments, it is deeply, it is a, a deep source of peace and gladness that we are reminded that the church isn't about a building. The church isn't about, it is not only about a, a, a time and a location. It is about a people formed together. And I will say that in that season, that the way that the church connected well with one another is that we encouraged one another. We sat out at the park a lot, right? We had people uh, come sit in our driveways. Uh, we, we had people uh, deliver uh, Famous Dave's uh, spicy pickles to us, which is a great source of encouragement and nutrition, by the way. Um, and so we had a lot of great fellowship in those times. And aren't you glad that the church is not a building? That the church is a people who serve one another, who love one another. But let me just tell you, you did not experience that gladness if all you did was lock your door and didn't see anybody for any length of time. And we know that. We, we know that. Because, I'm not trying to get all political here, but we know that because of literally statistics that we have today that talk about the, the, the weight and, the, and the, the absolute spike of, of mental health through that time because people were isolated. And it's because what God says about being together is true, that it is a source of deep gladness for us. But let me just say this, that though the church is not a building, I will say, for the most part, the church has an address. Does that make sense? It's not a building, but the church has an address, as is the case in many parts of the world. It might be at this address this week, and it might be at that address next week. What I, what I mean by that is that the church, according to the Bible, is not a building, but it is never less than a people assembled and gathered together somewhere. And so the house church in Asia and in the Middle East and here in Oklahoma City and the church gathered in this structure today are all meant to display the manifold wisdom of God. And so what I mean by that is that when you read church in the, the scriptures, it means called out ones. It means ecclesia, those who are assembled, those are, who are together. And it doesn't matter if it's here. It doesn't matter if it's in a basement. It doesn't matter if it's in a living room. It doesn't matter if it's a coffee shop. The people of God are a people who are together. Does that make sense? You may not agree, and there may be some kind of nuance to that in your mind, but it is 
it is true that the scriptures point to the church being called out ones who are together somewhere practicing the things that the church has always practiced. And in David's case, in Jerusalem, where he goes to this place, again, remember, thankfully we don't have like a Mecca or one of those places that we got to go to to experience this gladness. We can experience the gladness wherever we may be as the people of God practicing the things that God has promised and called us to. And so, fourthly, we see a gladness in God's peace. Let me just tell you, the peace that God promises is a deep source of gladness to us. Amen? The, the, the peace that God promises us. In fact, I would go further to say the peace that is offered to us in Christ. Ephesians, on two different occasions, will say, Jesus Christ, who is our peace. You recall that? Jesus Christ, who is our peace. So as we talked about in Advent a couple months ago, peace is not only possible... If you are a believer, peace is yours because you have Christ, and the presence of Christ is the presence of peace. All of these things lead the psalmist to seek and experience the peace of God. Let's read read verse 6 through 9. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And so all of these things lead the psalmist to seek and to then experience and to attain the peace of God. How? The psalm tells us through prayer and through a unified mission. And what the New Testament will tell us is in Christ, right? Will tell us in Christ. It is a peace given by God and sought by men through prayer and through a unified mission. David here tells of how peace was sought, again, through prayer. Let's read 1 Timothy, and this is how we'll close this morning. David's, David's praying for peace. If, if peace is going to happen, according to David, it's going to be because we are praying to the God of all peace. That's the way that Romans opens up, right? Romans, Romans chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I think it's Romans and plenty of time through the apostles, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hey, the ultimate peace that we have is through faith in Christ. And what David exemplifies for us here in Psalm 22 is that the way that we we experience peace, the way that we receive peace is through prayer to the Father, the the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us peace. And what 1 Timothy will say is that in order to be at peace with God, the the means that God has chosen for, for us to experience this ultimate peace is how? Through Through prayer. Through prayer. That's that's how that's how Paul, that's that's Paul's logical. Conclusion here in 1 Timothy 3, I want people to pray. Why? So that we may lead a peaceful and godly life, dignified, and this is good, and it's pleasing. What is good and pleasing? That we pray and that we live this peaceful and godly life? To, to what end? 
because we have a God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then ultimately, we experience this, this peace through faith in Christ. Let's read verses five through seven. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so this peace that the psalmist experienced, this peace that the apostle tells us to seek after comes through prayer, comes through faith in Christ. And what the psalmist tells us is there is a deep gladness associated with the peace that God gives us. And child of God, if you have placed your trust in the finished work of Christ and who Christ is, then you have this peace. Ephesians tells us that, that he himself, Christ Jesus, is our peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning in your word. We thank you for uh, the way that your word speaks to us, that your word instructs us, that your word challenges us and convicts us. Um, that your word shows us where the treasure is. And the treasure that we seek is is Christ. Thank you for what Christ has done in order for us to be at peace with with you, as Romans chapter 5 will tell us. That we have been justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God. And so, Lord, this morning as we um, as, as we do the things that you have called us to do, namely singing psalms and songs and spiritual songs um, in the midst of one another, as Colossians would tell us, that the, the things that you have called for us to do as a, as, a, uh, as a body of believers, that as we sing, Lord, we would experience um, the, the presence of God in a, in a unique way that we experience the the grace of God in a unique way, and that as we take communion together, um, as your word indicates to us, um, that we would experience in a unique way the presence of God with us, Um, that we're we're not just here gathered hoping, Lord, that you hear us, but we are gathered because you have called us. And so, Lord, again, as as we say often, we don't invite you here. We don't don't just welcome you here, Lord. You have welcomed us. You have invited us. And so, Lord, may we, even in this moment, um, be, be aware of that, be reminded of that, and be reminded of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.